we started a series uh, last week called "What to Do When," and uh, last week we talked about what to do when we're, we're you know we're told we have to, and then today is what to do when we're told we can't. And so, you know, in our life that there's probably things in your world, things that you're dealing with right now that you're feeling pressure, uh, you know, maybe somebody's pressuring or you're just culture's pressuring you or your job or maybe, uh, you know, in your home or whatever, there's just pressure to not do certain things that you know God has called you to do or that you believe that you're supposed to be a part of your relationship with him. And what do we do in those things? What do we do in those situations and circumstances? And so we're going to look at that today. How many of you are familiar with Daniel and the lion's den? How many of you ever heard that account? Let me see your hands. We're going to talk about him today and about that lion. Now, here's the truth of the matter is, is that the likelihood of any of us leaving here today and being thrown in a literal lion's den is probably not high. If, if that's if you're running that risk, we probably need to talk about the people you're running with. It's probably not a good circle you're in, and uh, we can talk about that after church. But the truth of the matter is that 1 Peter chapter 5 does say this. It says that the, that the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. Now, if you and I have the same third grade teacher, then the, you probably have the same thing. If I would say, hey, look, can I, can I have a drink of water? Do you know what her response would be? I don't know, can you? You know, and I, at first I was like, is this my first introduction to sarcasm or is she being real? I don't, you know, so, um, but the truth of the matter is that she was trying to teach me a, a lesson and that is, is that she wanted me to say, may I have a drink of water? Because that was her giving me permission to do so. And so when it says that the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, in other words, he's looking at areas of our lives and looking to see what areas we're giving him permission and what we're doing in our decisions and our behavior that gives him access to devour, you know, what, there have been seasons in mine and Tina's marriage where he was devouring it, but it was because of our own choices, our own decisions, was giving him access to that. Maybe it's areas with our attitude, or you know, our relationship with our kids, or relation with our parents. You know, just different things, or at school, at our job, that he's devouring because we've given him access. That we've given him, we've said, yes, you may devour this by by our behavior, by our disobedience, by our attitude, by the things we're saying, not saying, doing, not doing. And so all of those things. So, so we'll look at that, you know, that, that what do we do in those situations? But we're going to look at that account. So if you would grab hold of your Bibles and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I declare this morning, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'll be taught the word of God. And I'll never be the same again. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Daniel 6. Daniel's in the Old Testament. It's past the book of Psalms, several books. It's right past the book of Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. And so, um, so right in there, it's right in the, between those two books. And so Daniel chapter 6, it's in the Old Testament. Um, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Old Testament starts with Genesis. Daniel's in the Old Testament. So Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, says this. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Now, so Daniel was very responsible. He did things with excellence. As a matter of fact, I think King James, I think the phrase it uses is that um, he had a, there was an excellent spirit within him. 
or he, you know, we could say it this way, he operated in a spirit of excellence. So he just did things well. He did it as unto the Lord. Well, the king noticed that. And he said, so you're going to be in charge of all of these people. In other words, that there was only one person in the kingdom more powerful than Daniel, and that was the king. Well, so it says the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. So they went to, you know, they went to King Darius and they said, you know, King, you're, you're really just incredible. And I think people need to recognize that. So you should make a law that nobody prays to anyone but you for the next 30 days. Now, they really didn't think that about the king. They were just jealous of Daniel, and they knew they didn't have the authority or the position to impact anything on him, so they wanted to use the king's title and his position to do that. Well, they hit him in an area. They hit him in his ego and his insecurity. He's like, you know what? I really am pretty great. You know what? I think this is a great law. They really should pray to me and recognize just how wonderful I am. So they signed the note. Signed, he signed the letter and made it a law. And again, they were just trying to trap Daniel. That was their sole purpose. So the next verse says this. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual. Everybody say, as usual. In other words, he didn't just start praying right now. That's what he'd been doing the whole time. It's what he'd always done, as usual, in his upstairs room, with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. Say, just as he had always done. So in other words, I mean, there was a pattern in Daniel's life that this is what he did, that he prayed, just as he'd always done, giving thanks to his God. You know, I think one of the things we have to be careful of is sometimes whenever we're faced with a situation that we feel like pressure's being made and somebody tells us we can't do things or we're feeling the pressure not to do what we believe, you know, is the right thing, that all of a sudden now we become, you know, we want to become stand-up people and that type of thing. And sometimes our attitude is not one of worship and honor. Sometimes it's one of defiance. And, you know, I think we lose sight of this, that God, he cares about what we do, but he doesn't just care about what, he, what we do. He cares about why we do it, that our reasons matter to him. You know, Daniel wasn't one of these guys that wasn't praying, and then all of a sudden the king said, well, you're going to pray to me? He goes, well, he's not going to tell me what to do. No, man, it was a part of his life. It was a pattern of his life. Now, let me just say this, that there are times where we're faced with situations and circumstances, and we're told that we can't do something, and we feel like we can't, and our hearts are stirred up, and sometimes God uses those moments and uses those issues to get our attention, to stir things up in us, and, and we should respond. But again, we want to do it for the right reason. The Lord cares about our reason. You know, he said this about prayer one time in, when he's talking about, I think in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he, he was talking about this. He said, look, you know, it talks about, you know, we should pray. And when we pray, we pray in secret. Our Father's in secret and he sees us. But he said, if you pray to be seen, then that's your reward. In other words, why are you praying? He talked about giving. We should give. But again, if you're, if you're giving so that people will notice you and, and you know, you'll just get all this, you know, recognition, he said, you already have your reward. Even fasting, when we think about that, that with fasting, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, that's like a real spiritual act. But 
But if you're fasting so that people will know that, hey, man, I'm that guy. I've been fasting. I've made these sacrifices. He said, then you have reward. So Jesus didn't just care what we do. He cares why we do it. Now, I'm going to be real transparent with you. There have been times in my life that I've done the right thing, but I've done it for the wrong reason. Is there anybody else in here that's done that besides me? Have you ever done the right thing to... I mean, the truth of the matter is in my marriage at times, I've done the right thing, but I had a different reason besides what was good behind it. Sometimes there were things, I, you know, a rea- reaction or response that I wanted from my wife. Sometimes it was just, you know, and I will tell you this, you know, for any of you guys that are married, I don't know if you're this way, but my wife, man, she sniffs that out. Well, I'm just telling like a, like a bloodhound on a, on a crook's uh, trail. I'm just telling you right now, she just, uh, you know, there'd be times where she would be like, so like, why, you know, what, what are you doing this for? And I'm like, can't you just take it? Just do, I, I remember I was at a golf tournament and I won, uh, they were doing a drawing and there were these sunglasses that they had and to be, you know, and I'm just going to tell you for me, they did not look masculine at all. And I, I just don't do non-masculine. And so, um, they look like something that would fit her just fine. And so I came home and I said, hey, I got these sunglasses for you. She goes, you got them for me? And I'm like, yeah, I was at a golf tournament. She goes, so did you pick them out and buy them or did you win them and you don't like them and now you're giving them to me? And I'm like, can't you just take the sunglasses? I mean, what do, you, what do you have to ask me? Why are you trying to cheapen this gift that I've given out of a heart of love? And you're cheapening it by asking all of these, you know, just accusatory questions. As a matter of fact, I'm downright insulted and offended that you would ask me those questions, even though you're right. And so, so you know, you would have those, those things, those moments where, you know, you just, you know, that she would just see right through it. You know, she would see this. But I will tell you this much, that even though there are moments like that, that doesn't mean God can't use them. When I was in high school, I was a sophomore in high school, I played offensive line, and I wasn't the biggest sophomore, and I wasn't the fastest one. And so I wasn't the guy that automatically the line coach would know who I am. He he wasn't probably, you know, just in the natural order of things, he wouldn't know me till the next year. I wasn't okay with that. I'm like, he's going to know me, and if I'm not getting his attention on the football field, then I went to Fellowship of Christian Athletes, because he oversaw Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I'm like, I go to church, and so I, I like Jesus, and, and so maybe he'll get to know me better. Well, even though my, my reason wasn't the most godly, that God still used it. I went to church with my parents on Sunday morning, but there was a church in town at the youth group. They had a lot of pretty girls there, and I was a single teenage guy, and single teenage guys, I, I like single teenage girls when I was that age. And so I started going to that youth group, you know, because I, I really love the Lord, and I really like, you know, pretty girls. And so... Um, I don't know why I'm uncomfortable telling the story, but, um, but the Lord used that. Even though my reason wasn't right, he used it and began to deal with my heart and change my heart and get my attention to where it needed to be. And, you know, sometimes we step out into those places and our, our reasons aren't right, but we put ourselves in a position for God to deal with us. But I, I think, you know, there just needs to be this awareness in us that, you know, David prayed this, Lord, search my heart, try it. Prove it. See, see what its reasons are. Is it, you know, is it steady in its reasons and in its motives? And there's something about that that's powerful. Daniel didn't all of a sudden become a prayer warrior because he was told he couldn't. It's what he did all the time. He did it when there was no law regarding it. And so, you know, he was just, he was just praying. And one of the things he didn't was he gave thanks. So a lot of times when we're faced with these struggles and these challenges... That, and God's calling us, you know, to, to just be who he's called us to be. I think it's so important that we ask ourselves, make sure you're taking a stand for the right reasons. Make sure you're taking a stand for the right reasons that, to be doing what God has called you to do. 
And so he, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his window open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. And so make sure you're taking the right stand for the right reasons. Well, why am I doing this? God, I just, I'm really frustrated. That I feel like I've got this pressure on me to not do this, not, you know, to, to not go to church or to not do this thing or not to, you know, to voice what I believe that is right. You know, why am I not doing it? What's the reason that now that all of a sudden now I want to come against that? And so make sure that we're doing what God's called us to do. Let's continue reading there. He said, so he knelt down three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying. Well, of course, that's what he always did. Found him praying and asking for God's help. Asking for God's help. Now, it doesn't say this, but I think it's safe to presume this, that he was asking for God's help. And because of the situation and circumstances he was in, it wouldn't surprise me if he was asking God, God, what do I do here? What do I do in this situation? How do I respond to this? You know, that they've made this law that I'm not supposed to pray. Lord, what is it you want me to do? You know, I think one of the mistakes we can make sometimes, we get into a situation, you know, again, where there's pressure for whoever it's coming from, you know, wherever we feel it from. And maybe sometimes it's not pressure. It's just, it's just, just complete, direct, you know, conflict. But I think the mistake we make is just kind of responding, presuming that we know what to do instead of asking God for direction and asking him for help. The Old Testament is full of more than one occasion where somebody's in a situation where something had happened, and we would think, well, of course they'll do this. You know, one of the accounts that we can read about is when David, he, you know, God had told him he was going to be king, but he had not taken the position yet. So he was living out in this town called Ziklag with the people that were following him. The men and their wives and kids were with them. And they went on a campaign, a military campaign, and when they came back, that the whole town was burned down and their wives and kids were kidnapped. Well, man, they were just so overcome with grief, they began to weep. And, you know, sometimes those situations we experience loss like that, you start out with grief, but eventually at some point it turns into anger. And so they were no longer just sad, they were mad now. And then when you're mad, you got to be mad at somebody, and they got mad at David. And it says that they were so overcome that they began to talk about stoning him. In other words, man, this is just horrible. I can't believe we lost our wife and our kids. You know what? And it's his fault. Well, you can imagine what David's response could have been, but it says two things that he did. One is, is that he encouraged himself in the Lord. He began to encourage God, you've called me to this. I would imagine this is what that sounds like. God, I didn't put myself in this position. You did. I'm here because you put me here. Lord, I trust you in this moment. My hand is not in, my future is not in their hands. My future is in your hands, God. I trust you with this. And I would imagine that became contagious and that it impacted the, the other people listening. But then he did something really interesting. He went and he sought God and he said, God, do you want us to pursue them and overtake them? I mean, because my natural thought would be, well, of course that's what you're supposed to do. But David understands this, that, you know, God knows things that he doesn't know. And God may have a plan that he hadn't considered. You know, there were times where God would say, no, I've got this. I've got this. But he sought God about what he was supposed to do. And sometimes what our response is, we, we just naturally assume that we know we naturally assume the thing that we're supposed to know as opposed to seeking God's face and saying, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. What do you want me to do, Lord? He sought the Lord and asked the Lord for his help. But when it says, then the official went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. He sought God's help, sought his purpose, sought his plan and all of that. 
You know, you, you could be in one of those situations now yourself. And, you know, one of the things we, we need to be reminded to do is to begin to call on God and begin to ask him about it. And begin, you know, to continue to stay thankful. Dan, Daniel, in this life-threatening situation, that one of the things that's noted about his prayer was he gave thanks. He gave thanks. And he asked God for help. And so sometimes when we get under pressure, we lose sight of that. But he gave thanks and asked God for help. And so what do we do when we feel like we can't? Or we have pressure to not do what we're supposed to do? And we stay connected to God. We, we begin to seek his face. But not because we're trying to show somebody, but because we genuinely know that we need his direction, his guidance. We need his presence to be a part of our life. For him to move in our lives Again, whatever it is you're dealing with right now. So it says that they found him praying and asking for God's help. Let's keep reading there. It says, so they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. In other words, he began to say, is there any way that I can work around this? And, you know, they had the way their law was set up. They, they, there wasn't. And so... Uh, it says this, in the evening, the men went together to the king and said, your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. I mean, the king even recognized and noticed in Daniel's life who he was as an individual and who he belonged to. I mean, it was to such a thing that the king's only hope was in the God whom Daniel served. And so it says this, a stone was brought in place over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel! Servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? From the lions. Now, it doesn't say this, but I've often wondered, because I would be tempted to do this, and maybe probably Daniel didn't do this because he's probably way more mature than me. For that, for that to be asked, there's to be a part of me that just for a moment just want to be quiet. Are you Okay. Yeah, I'm just messing with you, king. I'm good. I mean, that's what I would. So it doesn't say that he probably didn't do it. But he did respond eventually. And it says this. It says, Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so they would not hurt me. For I've been found innocent in his sight. And I've not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him for he had trusted in his God. He had trusted in God in the lion's den. Well, I love this, what it says to him. He says, God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me. For I had been found innocent in his sight, 
and I have not wronged you. That's part of the challenge, right? Whenever we're feeling that pressure to view that person, you know, as our enemy and to be frustrated with them. And I'll just be real transparent with you that he was found innocent in God's sight because he didn't, he had not wronged the king. And the truth of the matter is, is that I've been in some of those situations before. Not only am I mad at that person, but sometimes I've gotten irritated at the Lord. And that just reveals sometimes how confused we can be or how deceived we can be and how our focus has gotten off what it's supposed to be. But the reality of it is, is that Daniel was delivered from the lions. I put number three down here is that you can trust God in the lion's den if God is who put you there. It's wild to think that sometimes our obedience takes us directly to the lion's den. It takes us there. We don't realize that sometimes the place of promotion is that place. The place of transition is that place. You think about different people in the Bible. Joseph would not have been promoted had he not spent time in prison. Paul in Philippians chapter 4, he talked about rejoicing. And again, I say rejoice when he was in prison. And right here in the lion's den, when this is all over, man, I mean, it just elevated Daniel's status to the king. Not only did it elevate Daniel's status, it elevated Daniel's God. The king saw right through what had taken place, and he called all of those men together that had tried this. They weren't just trying to hurt Daniel. They were fooling the king, and he wasn't having it. So he called them in and their families, and he tossed them all, all of them into the lion's den. And it says this, that before they hit the ground, the lions got them. They were probably hangry from fasting all that night with Daniel right in front of them. They're like, man, we've had this Happy Meal right here before, so we haven't been able to eat. And yeah, you got any more? I mean, they were, they were you know. But Daniel, in, in all of this, he, he was trusting God and doing what God had called him to do. You know, sometimes I put myself in the lion's den. I don't know about you, but sometimes my decisions, it wasn't like I was following God. Sometimes I was being selfish or angry, responding out of insecurity or my own hurt, yielding to sin, being disobedient. And I found myself in the lion's den. Let me just say this, that even though I put myself there, that, you know, well, am I just stuck there? Well, here's what I say is, is that sometimes it's in the lion's den that I recognize how serious God takes my disobedience. How serious he takes my sin. And that's a great place to repent. God, before these lions move, I just wanted you to know I'm sorry. Sometimes that's been my prayer. I see the lion coming towards me, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. But I mean it. And God's merciful and gracious. I can't tell you how many times I put myself in the lion's den because of my own disobedience or own sin and repented, truly repented. And how he shows up, because he's good. And the grace of God is not giving me what I deserve, but it's, it's not even not giving me what I deserve, it's giving me what I don't deserve. It's a step greater than mercy. There's something powerful about it. And so, you know, if you're in the lion's den today, that, you know, that he showed up seeking, looking for an area in your life. And maybe sometimes, you know, the area that he chooses is not an area of disobedience. Maybe it's an area that we're ignorant in the word in, that we just need to study the word and get, and, you know, become familiar with it. And then let faith help us close the door in that area. For whatever reason is, one of the great things we can do in those moments is to operate in humility. I, 
several years ago, I was, um, I had this moment just God began to deal with me about. And, you know, if you've been around here, you've heard me use the term God thoughts and, you know, just sometimes you're just, you're kind of praying and wondering what you're doing in a certain situation. All of a sudden this thought comes up and you know, it's not yours. It was just, you know, God placed it there. And so some of you have had God, probably all of you have had God thoughts at different times. You may not have recognized it at the time, but one of the things that God thought that he gave me was, was that, hey, in conflict, I want you to respond in humility. And so he's like, well, shouldn't you do that anyway? Well, I know smart guy, but I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes I'm kind of thick, okay? So he had to do it that way. And so, um, and forgive me for getting angry at you, but uh, <laughs> so I, I, things would come up. Situations would happen, and my, my first response sometimes with somebody would be, would, I'd be sitting there thinking, well, they're just insecure. Or time, at times I'm like, well, just, I can't believe they're mad about that. That's just silly. But sometimes they were right. Sometimes I had let them down. Sometimes I had disappointed them. But humility it says this, that when we operate in humility, that God's, he gives grace to the humble. That humility, he's there, he helps. And so that God thought would come like, hey, in conflict, I want you to respond in humility. And I would look at him and I would go, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I I don't want to create any pain in your life. Please forgive me. And it, it it wasn't a ploy. I wasn't trying to manipulate him. I was genuinely trying to operate in humility. And it was amazing. I would sense God's presence show up in that moment. And he would deal with both of us. There's something about that that is he responds. I, I, love, I love Daniel's response right here. He said, man, I, I didn't do anything to you. If he'd have been justified, right? He was innocent. If anybody should have known what was going on, it was the king. It was the one that Daniel was serving. The king saw how committed, how faithful, how loyal Daniel was. And yet the king still let this law be put into practice. And was so full of himself, didn't even consider who it would impact. And yet even in those circumstances, Daniel, because he trusted God, that in the lion's den, he wasn't down there angry at the king. He wasn't angry at God. He wasn't even angry at the people that had done those things to him because he knew this, that the doorway out of that lion's den was not in the king's hands and it wasn't in his accuser's hands. It was in God's hands. And so he began to trust him. And humility says, I'm not going to be mad at the king. I'm not going to be mad at the king. He doesn't control my future. God does. There's something about that kind of faith, that kind of humility. When the Lord gave me that thought and I, and I watched that when I would respond to that way, that it was almost like my pride got out of the way of what God wanted to do. And in that moment, all of a sudden, it began to resolve and began to heal just do a work in, our, you know, in the life of what God wanted to do in that moment. I wish I could tell you that I always did that. I didn't. Sometimes the old me would show up and, you know, just want to argue and fight. And, but whenever I would respond to that leading in that moment, God gives grace to the humble. He's for the humble. So we have to ask ourselves, how did I get in the den? Why am I staring in the face of a lion today? Did I do this? Was it my disobedience? Was it my selfishness? Was it my sin? My brokenness? What what was it that put me here? Or 
Is it just one of those things that my obedience has taken me to this place? And there's something that God can only do apparently in the lion's den. There's a work that can only take place here. And I've said this before and I'll say it again because I need to hear it. If I need to hear it, probably you need to hear it too. That usually my situation when I'm in the lion's den is ask God, how long is this going to be? How long? Good grief, it's been 15 minutes already. Can we, you know, you know can something happen for crying out loud? And then it's been six months, now it's a year. And the truth of the matter is, is the question that I should ask is not how long is this going to be, but God, what is it you want to do in me in here? There's something about that. And it says this, that you can trust God in the lion's den of God is who put you there. So we live in a world, in the world we live in more so and more so that I grew up in a culture that the predominant voice in culture was biblical. I'm not saying that everything was. There were certainly lots of injustices and things like that. But a lot of times we would ask, you know, what does the Bible say about this? And, and more and more in our culture, in our nation, that becomes less of an issue. And it's more, people are more and more either, some are indifferent to the Bible and there are others that are just flat out antagonistic to what it has to say. Well, it's a battle. It's a fight. I, I lose sight of the fact that the fight that I'm having is not with them, though. But the fight that we have, that it's not with flesh and blood. And so the, the weapons that we're given are not carnal. They're spiritual. And so in that lion's den, I, I need to do what Daniel did, and he kept trusting God. He asked God for help, but God, if you ever had that prayer, Lord, I really need you to help me, and the Lord's like, okay, I'm going to help you, and next thing you know, you're in the lion's den, you're like, thanks a lot, God. You know what I mean? It's, it's how it feels, right? This is what I get for praying. Well, what do you do when you're in the lion's den? You keep trusting. You keep trusting. Your life's in God's hands. I heard this account of this, uh, there was a guy years ago, his name was Smith Wigglesworth. God used him in a great way, man. Just, he, he had like a, I think a third grade education or something like that. It was at a time where there weren't tense child labor laws and he ended up working in factories as a kid so he didn't get to go to school. Well, you know, God began to use him, move on him, and God began to use him, and, but something happened in his life and he, he really backslid. And he was married and uh, the lady that he married, she didn't backslide and and he was so backslidden, he started getting on to her about going to church. I don't want you going to church. And she's like, now, Smith, she said, you know, I'm, I'm a good wife. You know, I mean, I, I love you. You know, you're, you know, you're kind of cantankerous right now, but I love you. But, uh, in, you know, and, and, um, but I'm going to go to church. Well, he got so um, backslidden that when she'd go to church, he'd lock her out of the house for a little while. How would that work in your home? And eventually, you know, he would, he would open up the door and she would come in just full of joy, make him a meal. I know what you're thinking. She poisoned him, right? No, that's not what happened. <laughs> she just came in, made him a meal, act like nothing happened. She continued to trust God and over time, over a period of time, eventually his heart was so convicted. It was so convicted that he repented to her and began to walk in ministry again and follow God again in the way that he should. And then at some point, he began to get back in ministry again. And he said that, you know, that he could attribute the things that were taking place in ministry because of this person and the relationship that he had with her, that she did not allow bitterness to get in the way of how she treated him. 
There's just something about trusting God in those circumstances, in those moments. To be able to be yielded to him. And understand that that person's not our enemy. We have an enemy. And we have the armor of God that we can fight that enemy with. But you can trust God in the lion's den. And if you put yourself there, repent. Repent. Ask God to forgive you. Receive his mercy and his grace. See how good he is. I've seen how good he is and how faithful he is, even when my own disobedience has put me in that situation. He's just faithful. He's just faithful. Trust God on the lines and if it was God who put you there, and if he didn't, then repent and embrace his presence there in that time. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. If you're in, if you're in a lion's den right now, you know, the place to start at is how did you get there? And maybe you're like, you know, Pastor Rick, to the best of my knowledge, man, I've just endeavoring to follow God and I'm here. Okay, well, you keep trusting him. Or maybe you're there and you're like me. At times I've been there and I put myself there. And the only thing I can tell you to do is I just went to God and said, God, forgive me. And just like he did with Samson, when Samson's disobedience had put him in a bad place, then God restored him. Just like he did with Jonah, God delivered him. He's delivered me. And he'll deliver you. Let's just spend a moment with God and just let him do a work in us right now.